Isn't it good to be in God's presence, spend time worshiping him this morning as a, as a body of believers? I'm Pastor Rob, one of the pastors here and at Bridge, and I'm excited. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for worshiping with us and being with us this morning. Um, I have to say, though, it has been interesting for me over the past few years since I've lived in this area um, to see um, professional sports fans. It's just a different breed. Just going to be honest. I grew up in a college town and like WVU, Morgantown, and you know it, it didn't matter whether WVU was winning or losing. Everybody was excited about football or basketball or whatever season we were in, and it didn't matter. Like this year, they're 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 doing terrible. But I can guarantee you, every time you check out at a cash register, it's go Mountaineers, go WVU every time. I don't hear that around here much until, like, somebody starts winning. You know, when the Eagles were doing good a few years ago and made it to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl what, right, won a Super Bowl, right? Is that something like that? Um, anyhow, shows how much I pay attention to Philly sports um, or professional sports in general. But you would hear that, go Eagles, you know, like, you'd be walking and you'd check out. Friday night I was uh, purchasing things for the youth event, and I checked out at Giant. Self-checkout. And I walked past the, ca- past the cashier. She goes, have a good weekend. Go Phillies. I was like, I don't know what to say back to you. You too? Question mark? I'm not really sure. But it's really cool to, to, see, that, to see that kind of happen. You guys have, a, uh, you guys have a, uh, a fan base that I'm unsure are fans, except for a few. So it's just different. And I think that's like every professional. Hey, no, no, no. I think that's every professional sport. I think there's like professional sports where there's a group of people who are like super passionate about it. And then whenever this professional team starts winning, then the whole town becomes rallies around that, right? Like that happens. Like, yeah, I've heard somebody say, hey, you know, Phillies are playing tomorrow night. And then somebody yelled and said, oh, yeah, well, Union plays tonight. Anybody know what Union is? Okay, a few of you knew. See, exactly. Some of you were like, I don't even know what the Union is. I found out this morning. They're a soccer team. So... In Philadelphia, who knew? We had a, they had a major league soccer team. So, but just different, just different. I'm not saying good or bad, just, just different, just different. So don't, and I just tuned out everything I'm going to say the rest of the morning. Pastor Rob hates professional sports and hates the Phillies. So that's not what I said. I just said it's different. So maybe we can say, go Phillies, right? Tomorrow night they play, yeah. We can do that. We can see where this, this World Series go. Goes Well, this morning we're in our own series, see what I did there, um, called Bible Engagement Project, and uh, we are uh, diving into volume two and session three, and uh, if you're new with us this morning, um, we are in a, we're in a series, and you can jump in any time if you're new, so don't feel like, oh, I've missed out on a bunch of stuff. You haven't really missed out, you've missed out on hearing the story, but you haven't really you're not, like, you're not like you have to catch up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, you're not, you're not going to feel like you're falling behind in class because you missed a couple of weeks or whatever. You, you jump right in with us. You can jump into one of our Bible engagement community groups. Jump into a community together, the devotionals together. Um, take note, though, this week, um, we're doing 30 weeks from Genesis through Revelation. A few weeks off here and there over the next, few, over the next months. Um, but we're in volume two, session three. Take note of that for your devotions. Take note of that for your small groups. Um, we are skipping session two in this, in this series um, in, vo- in volume so we can condense it to 30 weeks. And um, so each volume has a, a faith verse. Don't put that up yet. 
has a faith verse. Last week we introduced this series, this volume's faith verse. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Does any, can anybody tell me this volume's faith verse? Greg, go right ahead. Let's give it up for Greg. Good job, Greg. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, would you guys all stand with me one more time? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. And let's, let's uh, I know some of you are a little sleepy because I know you were up late last night. I get that. But let's, uh, let's, let's say this verse together, okay? You ready? God will make this happen. He who calls you is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. <laughs> Thank you. Let me say it one more time together. You ready? God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. You can leave out the last. Okay, good job. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. This morning as you came into our lobby, you saw that on our Etch-A-Sketch out in, out, in, out in the lobby. And the big Etch-A-Sketch that says, um, be renewed, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sorry, brain. Um, and, and, and when we're in the Word of God, it's like taking an Etch-A-Sketch and shaking it, right? And it renews our minds. It gives us a clean slate so that we can process what, what is going on in our lives through the truth of God's word. And so this is one of the truths of God's word. That, that God is going to make this happen. If he's calling you to it, he is going to be faithful. And uh, this morning we are going to dive into the topic of forgiveness. And our, uh, our kids and all the way through the youth and adults are going to be learning this. Or has, have this main theme this morning that is God helps us to forgive, or helps me to forgive. And it comes from Genesis chapter 50, uh, verses 15 to 21. And um, I'm going to have a question for you. I make this statement. God gives us the power to forgive. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Okay, because we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And um, my question for you this morning, I have another question. I have a lot of questions for you this morning. You ready? How many of you have ever, you don't have to answer this, just maybe it's kind of like a reflection question a little bit. How many of you have ever felt like someone hurt you or someone wronged you? You ever felt that way? Yeah, I, I think we probably all have. How many of you would say that you have hurt someone or wronged someone intentionally or unintentionally? Yeah. We probably all have. We're human. Sin is in our lives, whether we, whether we want to admit it or not. We are broken people, and sometimes we intentionally or unintentionally hurt other people. And I believe that all of us in one way or another have experienced hurt, have experienced pain, have experienced, I don't even know if this is a word, but I'm going to use it, uncomfortableness. You know, maybe it's not really like pain and hurt, but it's like, ugh, I don't know, it feels weird, like it kind of feels... Not right, you know, like, that was caused by someone else. And you're going to hear this question this morning multiple times is, how would your outlook on life change if you believe that God was with you in every situation? See, it's easy to believe that God is with you in good situations and times of rejoicing in the good times. It's, but it, what about those times where you experience the pain, the hurt, 
the uncomfortableness at the hands of other people. In the relationship that blew up. When you got passed over for a promotion that you felt like you deserved. When you were hurt emotionally, physically, spiritually by by someone in your life. How would your outlook change if you knew that God was in this? That he had a plan even if it's painful. See, sometimes bad things happen to good people. We hear that all the time. And sometimes really good things happen to bad people. And we don't understand why. And we can't figure it out. This morning, we're going to be wrestling with some of this through the story of Joseph. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 50, um, verses 15 to 21, which you can see on the screen. And um, Joseph's story is intertwined in 13 chapters of Genesis. It's like intertwined through 13 chapters of Genesis. So if we start reading now, we should be done by 2 p.m. So we should be good to go, right? Now this morning, I'm going to give you an overview of, of Joseph's story, of his story through the chapters. And we're going to land in Genesis 50, 15 to 21. But I think you need to know the story of Joseph before we get to the last chapter of, 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 of kind of his life, if you were to think about it, the last section of his, of his life. So just so, you're, just so we're brought to speed, Joseph is the great grandchild of Abraham. Does that make sense? So Pastor Paul talked about Abraham last week. Joseph is the, the great grandchild of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then you have Joseph. Now, if you remember from last week, Abraham knew and believed God's promises to him. And earlier in Genesis, uh, last week, we read that God promised Abraham that he would have numerous descendants and that his descendants would rule over, that would rule over, over their enemies and that nations would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Well, here we are just a couple of generations later, and we get to see, we talk about the promises of God being, being true and being, being, that they're faithful, that we can rest in those. We get to see a couple of those promises fulfilled through the life of Joseph. So let me bring you up to speed on the life of Joseph that gets us to that last chapter of his story in Genesis 50. See, Joseph was his father's favorite child, his father Jacob's favorite child. And you say, well, how will we know this? Well, when we see this when Jacob gives Joseph a coat of many colors, right? I, I hate to bust on the accuracy of musicals, but technically in Hebrew, it would just mean a coat of long sleeves. So uh, if you're banking on it being a, a very bright, vibrant coat, it could have been, but it was a coat of long sleeves. At any rate, it symbolized his high status, that he didn't do manual labor. And it was typically given to the older brother, to the oldest child, but Jacob... Joseph's dad gave it to Jacob, the youngest, the youngest child. See, the rest of the kids got, me, got hand-me-downs. Joseph got a new coat. Make sense? So you can kind of see that. Then Joseph started having dreams. And in one of, his, one of his dreams, his whole family were out in the field sheaving wheat. And when Joseph's sheaf of wheat got, got... And in his dream, Joseph's sheaf of wheat got a lot bigger than everyone else's. And everyone else's sheaf of wheat began to bow down to his. And Joseph shares this dream with his family one night. And he said that he believed that the dream meant that they would all bow down to him and he would be ruling over them. Well, as you can imagine, that went over like a lead balloon with his siblings, right? In most every way in this story, just side note, in most every way in this story, Joseph is... Is, is a great example, great role model. But let me give you a hint. 
If you're going to have a dream about everybody bowing down to you, including your siblings, don't tell them. Bad idea. Don't tell them. Keep it to yourself. You're going to see why here in just a moment. So one day, while Joseph's brothers were out in the mountains feeding goats, of course, Joseph didn't have to go. He's probably staying at home playing on his Rockbox 260 or whatever. Joseph's dad said, go check on your brothers. Well, Joseph rides up on his new ATV. His dad had got him with his beautiful coat waving in the wind. And he says to his brothers, how's everybody doing? You all still thinking about that dream I had? Well, his brothers had had enough of this. So one of them grabs him, throws him in a pit, and they begin to start planning how they can kill him. The short version is they decided not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery. Then they take his coat, tear it, dip it in goat's blood. They take it to their dad and say, hey, we found his coat. We guess Joseph is dead. Meanwhile, Joseph shows up on the slave market in Egypt. And an Egyptian army captain named Potiphar buys him as his slave. So you caught caught up with me now? We, We all together here? Okay, good. We're like halfway. And we see this phrase for the first time in Genesis 39 too. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. This is important because we're going we're gonna to touch on this when we get to Genesis 50. But the Lord was with Joseph. See, I think, I'm going to pause here for a moment. I think that our reaction would have been, really, God? How are you with me? Like my brothers threw me in a pit, right? Then I was sold into slavery. Where were you? Well, let's keep going. But Joseph understood that in, those, in all these things, God was with him. And so he served Potiphar faithfully. And Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed. And so he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. I believe that this is like a turning point in the story of Joseph. See, if Joseph would have said, God has forsaken me, where would the story would have ended? When he was sold into slavery, what if he said, God can't be in this, that he would let this happen to me? But he didn't say that. He said, even in this, I believe that God is with me. So he served faithfully in the place that God had put him. Potiphar saw that God was with him and elevated him to be in charge of the house. Keep going. One day, Potiphar was out doing his military things, and Potiphar's wife came in and basically propositions Joseph. She says, lie with me. And Joseph didn't do it because it was against the law of God, and it would betray the master who trusted him with much. Well, as many of us know, there's no fury like a woman who's upset. So she steals his coat and tells Potiphar that Joseph tried to rape her and, he, and that he left his coat behind. A bit extreme, but anyhow, Potiphar believed her and threw Joseph in prison. But once again, we see this phrase in Genesis 39:21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. I think for me, at this point, I'd probably be like, really, God? Could you be with me a little less then? Could you be with me just a little less? Because if you being with me means that I'm going to go from here to here, back to here, and back to here, like, can we just slow down? Because your love doesn't feel too faithful in the midst of this while I'm in prison. I'm going to continue reading in Genesis 39, 21. And it says, And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. 
The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to secede. Joseph is in prison, but his outlook on life doesn't change because he believes that God is with him. Going back to that question, how would our outlooks and attitude towards life be different if we looked at life the same way as Joseph did? Let's continue the story. Well, after several years in prison, a couple of Pharaoh's servants were thrown into prison with him, a butler and a baker, both of which have a dream, and they tell their dreams to Joseph. Joseph interprets these dreams. He tells the butler, hey, you're going to be out of here in three days. He said, Baker, sorry, got bad news for you. Pharaoh's going to hang you, and he's going to let birds eat you alive. Sure enough, that is what happens. Joseph says to the butler, though, when, you're, when you get out of here, remember me, because I am in here unjustly. And the butler says, I promise, I'll remember you. But he forgets about Joseph for two years. Ever felt forgotten? Joseph sure did. I mean, at this point, I think most of us in this room would be like, you've got to be kidding me. Look where I'm at. I'm not asking much. I don't need to be in charge of everything. I just want some justice. I just want to be out of here and, and not, not be treated like, a, like, a, like somebody who did something wrong because I didn't do anything wrong. Well, two years later, Joseph has a dream, and it's a weird dream. River, fat cow, skinny cows. No one can figure out what the dream was about. But the butler was like, oh, yeah, I know a guy. I know a guy who can tell about your, uh, who can interpret your dream. So he, they go to the prison. They bring Joseph. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, can you interpret dreams? And Joseph says, no man can interpret dreams, but I know the God in heaven who can. And everyone in the room was like, no way. He didn't just say that. He didn't say that. That's a gutsy statement. See, because pharaohs believed that they were God. And Joseph just said, you're not God, but I know the God who can. He just told the most powerful man in the world that he's not God and you know the real one. Well, Joseph goes and talks with God and comes back and interprets the dream and says, there will be seven years of, of feast followed by seven years of famine. Use the seven years of feast to prepare for the seven years of famine that's going to hit the land. So that's what they do. Pharaoh is so grateful, he promotes Joseph, once again, Joseph is promoted, to be in charge of everything, to basically the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph is over everyone else in the kingdom except for Pharaoh. Now fast forward 10 years, the whole area was in famine and starving, but their only place there was food was in Egypt. And that's where we kind of pick up on the, we get to this part of the story. Joseph's family and his dad and brothers were affected by the famine. Joseph sends one, Joseph's dad sends one of his brothers down to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph immediately recognizes him. But his brother doesn't immediately recognize Joseph. See, his brothers thought he was dead. Like they said, we sold him in slavery. Like he's probably dead somewhere. Like we don't, we don't know where he's at. By now, you know, it's been years since they had even seen him. When Joseph sees his brothers, he's overcome with emotion. Eventually, after putting his brothers, his family, through some tests to see if they had changed, Joseph can't stand it anymore, and he reveals himself to his brothers and says, It's me, Joseph. Now, what kind of moment do you think that was for his brothers? The ruler, the prime minister, is going, 
hey, I'm the brother that you sold into slavery. I'm the brother that, you know, you didn't like, hated, threw in a pit. You think they were glad? You think they were sad? Think they were afraid? Joseph says in Genesis 45.5, he says, But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. How would your outlook on life change? Your attitude towards others change if you believed that in everything God was with you. So the brothers got their father Jacob, brought him to Joseph, and they were reunited. Years later, Jacob, Joseph's dad, dies, and that brings us to Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21, where we're at today. Great story so far, right? I love the story of Joseph. It's a great story, long story, great story. So here we are, and we're going to read together these six verses, Genesis 15, Genesis 50, 15 to 21. It says, But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph, they said, Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, Do not be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Sounds familiar, right? Now don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Joseph. As we dive into this portion of scripture, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. God, you would let your Holy Spirit work in us. God, I pray that um, the observations that we make this morning through your word would be communicated clearly. And God, that you would just, uh, just open our hearts, soften our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. And it's your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Joseph forgave them. He spoke to them kindly. I don't even know if I would have kind words to say to them. Like, think about that. Everything that he had been through because of the decision that they made to, to throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. Forgiveness is hard. And this morning, I want to look at some keys to forgiveness that we see through Joseph's lives. And the first two keys that we're going to look at have to do with God's sovereignty. That has to do with God's rule over, over everything and control and authority over everything. It talks about his character. And the last two are really actions for us as we as we forgive others, as we walk into forgiveness. So I think the, the, first, the first key to forgiveness that, that I, I see in this story is to trust that God has a purpose and plan in everything. Trust that God has a purpose and plan in everything. If we're going to walk the road of forgiveness, we have to trust that God has a purpose and plan in everything. 
It keys back to this question that I've asked a few times already this morning. How would your outlook on life change, your attitude towards others change, if you believe that in everything, God was with you? I've said it multiple times. Just like God was in complete control of Joseph's life, working it all for his good plan, so he is in control of our lives. You are the sons and daughters of Abraham as well. Working all things for his good purposes in your life, just like he was in Joseph's life. He is sovereign God with control over all. How would your outlook on life change, your attitude towards others change, if you believe that in everything God was with you? Because this is what Joseph believed. This is what he believed through all of the crap that he went through in life, through all of the ups and downs, the roll. I mean, talk about a roller coaster of life. You go from the highest in somebody's house to the lowest in prison. You go to the high, the favorite of favorite, most favorite child to a slave. You go from you know the 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 prison to ruling over Egypt, like to the highest position. Roller coaster of a life. But Joseph believed that in the good and in the bad, God was with him. Genesis 50, 20 says this. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And ESV says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it, meant it for good. God had a purpose in everything, Joseph believed. Even in the bad things, Overriding the bad things, overriding what others meant for evil, for his good. Slavery led to pot, which led to Pharaoh, which led to a throne from which Joseph could save God's people. God was as much in the pit in prison as he was whenever Joseph was serving in the palace. See, I believe that God has a plan and purpose in everything. In everything. In the pain, in the hurt, in the, what I say earlier, uncomfortableness that we experience in life, God has a plan. And it doesn't reduce the sin of other people, though. I want you to hear this. Joseph doesn't downplay what his brothers did. He called what his brothers did evil. He said, you meant evil against me. He didn't say, well, you didn't really understand what was going on in my life, what was going on. You really didn't mean to throw me in prison. Joseph didn't downplay it. He said, no, you meant evil against me. Sometimes we often downplay the evil that is thrown against us, that we walk through, that come at the hands of other people. We say they're confused, or, or we all have struggles, or, or all families have struggles, that sometimes we say that wasn't meant to be, or that wasn't what they meant. We say, we say things that downplay the sin, yet on the inside... It's killing us. Yet on the inside, we're hanging on to it. See, part of experiencing God's healing and being able to offer forgiveness like, like, like Joseph does involves facing up to the fact that people have sinned against you. And it's okay to, a, to come to that fact. But the important thing to remember is that that's not where the story ends. That God overwrites the evil things for good. Does that make sense? Joseph says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
God overwrites the evil things they do for good. And sometimes we don't always see God's plan in everything. Each stage of the journey for Joseph was a necessary part for the next step, for the next piece of his life. But in the middle, I'm not so sure Joseph saw the full picture until we get to the end here in chapter 50. 13 chapters later, like think about that, that's a lot, big piece of the Bible. 13 chapters later, he begins to see how God is working it all for good. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this. He says, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. What are his purposes? Good thing you ask, because he answers that in verse 29. He says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. To become like his son. To be transformed, to be renewed, to be shaped into who God is calling us to be. And sometimes what you're going through makes no sense. Sometimes what you're walking through is painful. But God calls us to trust. He calls us to trust him. Remember the formula from last week that we, we talked about? Pastor Paul talked about him. put that formula up. It says, trusting God, no matter the cost, equals a close relationship with God. Faith plus obedience equals sacrifice honored by God. Trusting God, no matter the cost, equals a close relationship with God. The area we trust God in and the cost may look different in each one of our lives. Right? For Abraham, trusting God looked different than trusting than Joseph. Right? Wasn't the same story. The cost was different. For Abraham, the cost could have been his son, right? For Joseph, it was this roller coaster of life that was up and down. It was the highs and lows, the 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 accusations that came against him. But every step that he took, that he walked through, each phase drew him closer to God because he trusted in who God was. He trusted that God had a plan and purpose in everything. First key, trust that God has a plan and purpose in everything. Number two this morning, trust in God's authority. Trust in God's authority. These these both speak to God's sovereignty in our our lives. And, And we see this in verse 50, 19 and 20. It says, am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Our trust must be grounded in God's sovereign authority and ability to, and control over our lives, including judging those who have, who have meant evil against us. Does that make sense? Joseph says, am I God? Am I in the place of God? Joseph admits that he has no authority to condemn them or seek revenge, even though he held the highest office in the land. Sure, Joseph could have, in the physical, in the, in the, in the, in the position that he held, he could have retaliated against them. He could have told them they couldn't have food. It would have been that easy. He was in control of that. He could have said, nope, your family can't have food. But that's, that's not what he did. He trusted in God's sovereign ability and authority to... to, to sovereign authority and ability to judge, to judge sinners. That it was out of his jurisdiction. God was the one who had the power to judge and condemn them if he wished. And see, many times I think we have a hard time forgiving because we don't trust God's ability to judge sin. 
I've been in that boat before in my life. Sometimes we don't believe that God will do what is right. Oftentimes, you made me suffer, so I'm going to be the judge, and I'm going to make you suffer, right? That's what our natural instinct, instinct is. I'm going, to, I'm going to make you suffer. Oftentimes, the punishment, oftentimes, our punishment maybe isn't like an eye for an eye or retaliation, you know, you stabbed my tire, so now I'm going to stab yours, you know, that's not usually, sometimes the way it works, but sometimes in our world, you know, you did something against me, you caused evil against me, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to cut you out of my life. I'm just never going to talk to you again. I'm I'm never going to communicate with you again. And the pain that that causes, not not, maybe not the person who meant evil against you, but the pain that that causes you as as a person, sometimes is worse than the original pain that they meant against you. And we never offer forgiveness. And I'm going to use my phrase this morning. Everybody makes fun of me. We all have phrases when we're up here speaking. I'm going to use my phrase this morning. Can I be real with you for a moment? vulnerable for a moment, this piece is really hard. This piece is really hard for me. Um, As many of you know, I lost my parents at a young age as a young adult. And it was at the hands of a doctor who messed up in a a routine surgery, to be honest. And there were years that I walked life thinking about ways that I could make that guy pay. Just going to be real. Things in my head, you know, some of you would be like, if, if you heard some of the things that maybe went on in my head, you'd be like, he's a lunatic, he needs to be in the crazy house. But crazy stuff went on in my head. How can I make him lose his business? How can I do this? How can I do that? How can I make him, him pay? Because there wasn't forgiveness offered in my heart towards him. I was holding on to unforgiveness. I wasn't trusting in a sovereign God. I was saying, I, I have some ideas in my head. I'd be like praying at night. I'd be like, God, you know what? Here would be a really good idea. If you did this, you know what? <laughs> this would really work out. Like, I could lay it all out for you. And, you know, nobody would even think it was you. They would think it was, you know, somebody else, you know. But that's not what a sovereign God is about. That's not what, a God, that's not what God is about. He alone has the ultimate authority to judge evil. And God had to get a hold of my life. I wasn't trusting in God. He had to point out the unforgiveness through, through a mentor in my life. He had to point out the unforgiveness I was holding on to because it was in, destroying me from the inside out and it was affecting those around me. God will judge sin. It's not our job. We can't take the place of God. Joseph goes on in this very familiar passage and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Joseph acknowledges that his brothers were responsible for the harm, the evil, that it was their decision and it was their fault. But God used it because he was in complete control. He is sovereign. If we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, we become bitter. If we don't trust in the sovereignty of God, we hold grudges. Because in reality, in our minds, we're the captain of our own fate. And when we realize that God is sovereign and that he is in control, we, and he has a plan and purpose, even in the hard times, even in the pain, even in the uncomfortableness, when we get that, when we understand that, when we realize that he will judge sin, and we realize that it's for the ultimate purpose of what we say in Romans 8.29, that he is conforming us into the person that he is calling us to be. That he's using it for his good purposes. 
to form us into the likeness of his son and for the plan and purpose that he has for our life, that he's working it for our good. We can forgive with the assurance that we are not sovereign, but only God is sovereign. I think about this, I think about this, that Jesus on the cross cries out, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about that statement for a moment. God was using that tragic event for the benefit of you and me and the salvation of the world. And it was Jesus recognizing it, saying, God is sovereign. Father, you have to forgive them because they don't know what they do. They're meaning evil against me, but you're turning it for good, for the good of, the, for the good of those who will call on your name. See, and I kind of, kind of, here we go. You've heard of the golden rule, right? Golden rule? What's the golden rule? Yeah, five different versions of it, but same thing. Good job. Well, I heard a pastor say that there was a plat- Jesus gave a platinum rule. Jesus gave a platinum rule. Do unto others as I have done to you. Do unto others as I have done to you. What has Jesus done for us? He offers us forgiveness. He offers us forgiveness. For me in my life, I had to believe and trust that God is sovereign. And I can look back at a bad situation in my life and see how God has worked it over and over and over again for his good. In the end, he is sovereign. My position is to offer forgiveness, the same forgiveness that Christ offers to me. Trust God that he has a plan and a purpose in everything. Trust in his ultimate authority. Number three, keys to, for, keys to forgiveness. Forgive quickly. Forgive quickly. Verse 19, Joseph responded, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of me. See, when the petition for forgiveness was given to Joseph from his brothers, Joseph didn't have to go think about it. He didn't have to go do the real Christian thing and pray about it either. Like, think about that. He immediately responded, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I believe that was like Joseph's way of saying, like he's reaching out his hand, saying, Don't be afraid. I'm offering you forgiveness in this moment. He immediately eased their worry that he was going to get even or get revenge. It amazes me that Joseph not only forgave them, but it happened in a split second. It happened quickly. And I want you to notice this, that this is the way restoration should occur, especially inside the church in the body of believers. It shouldn't be a prolonged exercise. Forgiveness is to coincide with repentance. The two, goes, go, the two go hand in hand. It's not like whenever we go to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, that he's like, oh, wait a second. I have to go check to make sure that's okay. Right? He doesn't do that. He forgives us immediately when we repent, when we come to him. Jesus talks about this in Luke 17. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So point out that they did something wrong. You meant evil against me, Joseph said. And if they repent, forgive them. In verse 4 it says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day and come back seven times and come back, to you, come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Remember the platinum rule we just talked about that Jesus laid out? Well, well it's grounded in this verse in Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. And this is a tall order. I think in, in our culture, in our lives, like this is a tall order because forgiveness doesn't just spring up quickly in our lives. It doesn't just happen that quickly in our lives oftentimes because in the, our human nature is not to do that. So we have an internal battle that goes on between our human, human nature and our spirit man going, wait, wait, can I do this? Should I do this? No, you know, and you felt that struggle before. I felt that tension before. Do I forgive? Do I not forgive? I can tell you from experience, the longer that unforgiveness boils inside of you, the harder your heart gets and the longer you dwell in the pain and hurt and the longer the healing process takes. Quick forgiveness is something that must be cultivated as we trust God no matter the cost, recognizing that he is sovereign, that he has a plan and a purpose in everything and that it is his place to judge sin, not ours. Key number four, it's not just to forgive quickly, but to forgive thoroughly. You say, Pastor Rob, like if you forgive somebody, doesn't that mean that I did it thoroughly? Not always, not always. Genesis 50, 21 says, do not be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph says, don't worry. I will, continue to, I will continue to allow you to enjoy all the good things. I'll continue to allow you to eat. I'll continue to allow you to, to, to come. And, 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 and you know what? I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to take care of your children too and your family. And it says that he comforted them by speaking kindly to them. See, there were no Ill, Ill feelings that happened here. He didn't hold a grudge against them or hold anything over their head. He didn't go around and saying, yeah, hey, I forgive you, but, you know, walk back into his office and go, man, I hope that a, a brick falls out of the sky on his head, you know, or that, you know, I hope that their chariot crashes on their way home or, or whatever. He didn't do those things. He forgave thoroughly. Joseph says, don't worry, I will continue to allow you to enjoy all the good things. I'm taking care of your children. He showed them with his actions that they are forgiven. We may say with our mouths that we forgive someone, but later our actions show what is really in our heart. We say, I forgive them, but we go home and hope that something bad happens to them. We say that we forgive them, but we go behind their back and drag their name through the mud. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians. Be kind to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. And see, for some of us, this is where forgiveness needs to stop. It needs to stop at being kind. Because anything further would not be healthy. Right? Like sometimes the pain that we've gone through, the evil that's been done against us, um, we can offer forgiveness, we can be kind, but that's where it needs to stop. But when appropriate, safe, and healthy, we can go a step further like Joseph did. And if we continue reading past verse 21 in Genesis 50, it says in verses 22 and 24 that he basically rebuilt his relationship with his family. That they were all lived in Egypt. And he saw three generations born. And when he was dying, he spoke to his, he told his brothers that he was dying. And they, and they, they walked that road with him. Joseph forgave thoroughly. Someone once said that a good litmus test for whether forgiveness was truly offered is if the two parties can have a meal together and have extended conversation. 
Not conversation about the weather or about the Phillies, but truly communicate. And that's a real sign of restoration and forgiveness. I'm going to ask our worship team if you would come this morning. I believe that there are two lies that we've bought into in our culture and in our lives regarding forgiveness. Two lies regarding forgiveness. The first one is, is that you must wait until the person shows that they have repented to offer forgiveness. See, I don't believe that forgiveness is between you and them. Forgiveness, I believe, is between us and God. We offer forgiveness because it affects this relationship. Unforgiveness in our hearts builds a wall that affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. See, I look back at Joseph's story and you think about how awkward the reunion, the re, how awkward it would have been whenever Joseph was reunited with Potiphar and his wife. Like, think about that. Like, they had to come ask for food. They had to come get food. Did they ask for forgiveness? The story doesn't tell us. But I can tell you, looking at Joseph's life, he forgave them in his heart. He forgave them before they even came and asked. What about the butler who forgot about him for two years? You ever feel forgotten? Two years in prison. Did we see the story in the story that the butler came back and asked for forgiveness? No, we don't see that. But I believe that because of the fruit that Joseph's life was, was bearing in his other relationships, I believe that Joseph forgave the butler in his heart. Just like we see Joseph forgive his brothers when they ask. You don't have to wait till the person shows you that they've repented to offer forgiveness. Number two, I believe a lie, a second lie that we believe about forgiveness is that forgiveness is a feeling and you can't do it until you feel it. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice based on what you believe about God and his sovereign control over everything. It's a choice that you make. It's not a feeling. It's about what you believe about God and his control over everything. Corey Ten Boom, who helped many Jewish people escape from the Holocaust and eventually ended up in a Nazi concentration camp, she was sharing about some of her painful um, humiliation that she endured in the concentration camp. And one, And she pointed out that one of the guards was especially brutal, like especially cruel in that concentration camp. And, and she remembered clearly his face. Well, several, several years had passed uh, after the war, and she was speaking at a church service about the topic of forgiveness. And, and afterwards, after she was done speaking, an old man stepped forward, and she recognized him. It was that guard, that cruel guard, the guard that was his face was embedded in her head, in her mind. And he told her that he had become a Christian since the war. And, she, and he asked her, will you forgive me? And she said, in that moment, I had to take the man's hand. I knew that. I told myself, I can't lift my hand. I can, li- he said, I, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But she said, Jesus, you have to supply the feeling." And as I reached out my hand, an incredible thing took place. There was a current that started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, 
bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, she cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See, forgiveness isn't necessarily something that you have to feel. It's something that she did out of obedience to God. She said, I can stretch forth my hand as an act of obedience. Jesus provides the feeling for forgiveness. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? See, ultimately, through Joseph's story, we see echoes of Jesus' story. A Savior who came and walked the same path as Joseph walked. He was betrayed by his own friends and family. He was lied about. He was falsely accused. Unlike Joseph, Jesus wasn't sold into slavery, but he was put to death. But like Joseph, he rose out of a pit to sit on the highest throne of the land. And like Joseph, instead of seeking vengeance from that throne, he used his position to forgive and save his brothers and all who would call on his name. See, church, God is fully in control of history and he's working out his perfect plan. The question is, are we going to put Jesus on the throne of our lives? Do we believe that he alone is sovereign? God is redeeming his creation through his son. And in order to offer forgiveness, we must first be forgiven. We can't offer others forgiveness if we first haven't accepted Christ's forgiveness. So this morning, maybe you're here and you fall into that category and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Today, you can ask Jesus to forgive you. All you have to do is acknowledge that you have sinned and make and ask Jesus to be that sovereign Lord of your life, that person who sits on the throne, knowing that he is in complete control. Remember the platinum rule, Jesus' platinum rule, do unto others as I have done to you. As the worship team sings this song, I'm going to ask you guys to maybe stay seated, and we're going to put a couple of reflection questions on the screen. And the worship team is going to sing this song, but I would ask that you would reflect on, on, these, on these two questions. The first one is this, what would change about your life today if you really believe that God was with you? It's the same question that I ask throughout the message. How would your attitude change towards what has happened in your past? And then the second one is this. Joseph chose to forgive his brothers. Is there anyone whom you need to forgive for hurting you? Would you reflect as the worship team leads us?